Section 14 of Scott's Last Expedition, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ewan Bayliss. Scott's Last Expedition, Volume 1. The Journals of Robert Falcon Scott. Arranged by Leonard Huxley. Second part of chapter 6. Adventure and Peril. Sunday, February 26. Marched on corner camp, but second main party found going very hard, and eventually got off their ski and pulled on foot. James Pig also found the surface bad, so we camped and had lunch after doing three miles. Except for our tent, the camp routine is slack. Shall have to tell people that we are out on business, not picnicking. It was another three miles to depot after lunch. Found signs of Bower's party having camped there, and glad to see five pony walls. Left six full weeks provision, one bag of oats, three quarters of a bale of fodder. Then Cherry Garrard Cream and I started for home, leaving the others to bring the pony by slow stages. We covered six and a quarter miles in direct line, then had some tea and marched another eight. We must be less than ten miles from safety camp. Pitched tent at 10pm, very dark for cooking. Monday, February 27. Awoke to find it blowing a howling blizzard, absolutely confined to tent at present, to step outside is to be covered with drift in a minute. We have managed to get our cooking things inside and have had a meal. Very anxious about the ponies and wondering where they can be. The return party has had two days and may have got them into some shelter. But more probably they were not expecting this blow. I wasn't. Footnote Bowers, Oates and Gran with the five ponies. The two days had after all brought them to safety camp. End of footnote. The wind is blowing force eight or nine, heavy gusts straining the tent. The temperature is evidently quite low. This is poor luck. Tuesday, February 28. Safety camp. Packed up at 6am and marched into safety camp. Found everyone very cold and depressed. Wilson and Mears had had continuous bad weather since we left. Bowers and Oates since their arrival. The blizzard had raged for two days. The animals looked in a sorry condition, but all were alive. The wind blew keen and cold from the east. There could be no advantage in waiting here, and soon all arrangements were made for a general shift to Hut Point. Packing took a long time. The snowfall had been prodigious, and parts of the sledge were three or four feet under drift. About four o'clock the two dog teams got safely away. Then the pony party prepared to go. As the clothes were stripped from the ponies, the ravages of the blizzard became evident. The animals, without exception, were terribly emaciated, and Weary Willie was in a pitiable condition. 
The plan was for the ponies to follow the dog tracks, our small party to start last and get in front of the ponies on the sea ice. I was very anxious about the sea ice passage owing to the spread of the water holes. The ponies started, but Weary Willie, tethered last without a load, immediately fell down. We tried to get him up and he made effort, but was too exhausted. Then we rapidly reorganised. Cherry Garrard and Crean went on, whilst Oates and Gran stayed with me. We made desperate efforts to save the poor creature, got him once more on his legs, and gave him a hot oat mash. Then, after a wait of an hour, Oates led him off, and we packed the sledge and followed on ski. Five hundred yards away from the camp, the poor creature fell again, and I felt it was the last effort. We camped, built a snow wall round him, and did all we possibly could to get him on his feet. Every effort was fruitless, though the poor thing made pitiful struggles. Towards midnight we propped him up as comfortably as we could and went to bed. Wednesday, March 1. A.M. Our pony died in the night. It is hard to have got him back so far only for this. It is clear that these blizzards are terrible for the poor animals. Their coats are not good, but even with the best of coats it is certain they would lose condition badly if caught in one, and we cannot afford to lose condition at the beginning of a journey. It makes a late start necessary for next year. Well, we have done our best and bought our experience at a heavy cost. Now every effort must be bent on saving the remaining animals, and it will be good luck if we get four back at Cape Evans, or even three. Jimmy Pig may have fared badly. Bower's big pony is in a bad way after that frightful blizzard. I cannot remember such a bad storm in February or March. The temperature was minus seven degrees. Bower's incident. I note the events of the night of March the 1st while they are yet fresh in my memory. Thursday, March 2, a.m. The events of the past 48 hours bid fair to wreck the expedition, and the only one comfort is the miraculous avoidance of loss of life. We turned out early yesterday, Oates, Gran and I, after the dismal night of our pony's death, and pulled towards the forage depot on ski. Footnote. This was at a point on the barrier, one half mile from the edge, in a south-southeast direction from Hut Point. End of footnote. As we approached, the sky looked black and lowering, and mirage effects of huge broken flows loomed out ahead. At first, I thought it one of the strange optical illusions common in this region, but as we neared the depot, all doubt was dispelled. The sea was full of broken pieces of barrier edge. My thoughts flew to the ponies and dogs, and fearful anxieties assailed my mind. We turned to follow the sea edge, and suddenly discovered a working crack. Note from the glossary, working crack, an open crack 
which leaves the ice free to move with the movement of the water beneath. End of note. We dashed over this, and slackened pace again after a quarter of a mile. Then again cracks appeared ahead, and we increased pace as much as possible, not slackening again till we were in line between the safety camp and Castle Rock. Meanwhile, my first thought was to warn Evans. We set up tent and Gran went to the depot with a note, as Oates and I disconsolately thought out the situation. I thought to myself that if either party had reached safety, either on the barrier or at Hut Point, they would immediately have sent a warning messenger to safety camp. By this time the messenger should have been with us. Some half hour passed, and suddenly with a thank God, I made certain that two specks in the direction of Pram Point were human beings. I hastened towards them, and found they were Wilson and Mears, who had led the homeward way with the dog teams. They were astonished to see me. They said they feared the ponies were adrift on the sea ice. They had seen them with glasses from Observation Hill. They thought I was with them. They had hastened out without breakfast. We made them cocoa, and discussed the gloomiest situation. Just after cocoa, Wilson discovered a figure making rapidly for the depot from the west. Gran was sent off again to intercept. It proved to be Crean. He was exhausted and a little incoherent. The ponies had camped at 2.30am on the sea ice, well beyond the seal crack on the previous night. Friday, March 3, a.m. I was interrupted when writing yesterday, and continue my story this morning. In the middle of the night at 4.30, Bowers got out of the tent, and discovered the ice had broken all round him. A crack ran under the picketing line, and one pony had disappeared. They had packed with great haste, and commenced jumping the ponies from flow to flow, then dragging the loads over after. The three men must have worked splendidly and fearlessly. At length they had worked their way to heavier flows lying near the barrier edge, and at one time thought they could get up, but soon discovered that there were gaps everywhere off the high barrier face. In this dilemma, Crean volunteering was sent off to try and reach me. The sea was like a cauldron at the time of the break-up, and killer whales were putting their heads up on all sides. Luckily, they did not frighten the ponies. He travelled a great distance over the sea ice, leaping from flow to flow, and at last found a thick flow, from which, with help of ski-stick, he could climb the barrier face. It was a desperate venture, but luckily successful. As soon as I had digested Crean's news, I sent Gran back to Hut Point with Wilson and Mears, and started with my sledge, Crean and Oates, for the scene of the mishap. We stopped at safety camp to load some provisions and oil, and then, marching carefully round, approached the ice edge. To my joy, I caught sight of the lost party. We got our alpine rope, and with its help dragged the two men to the surface. 
I pitched camp at a safe distance from the edge, and then we all started salvage work. The ice had ceased to drift, and lay close and quiet against the barrier edge. We got the men at 5.30pm, and all the sledges and effects onto the barrier by 4am. As we were getting up the last loads, the ice showed signs of drifting off, and we saw it was hopeless to try and move the ponies. The three poor beasts had to be left on their flow for the moment, well fed. None of our party had had sleep the previous night, and all were dog-tired. I decided we must rest, but turned everyone out at 8.30 yesterday morning. Before breakfast, we discovered the ponies had drifted away. We had tried to anchor their flow with the alpine rope, but the anchors had drawn. It was a sad moment. At breakfast, we decided to pack and follow the barrier edge. This was the position when I last wrote, but the interruption came when Bowers, who had taken the binoculars, announced that he could see the ponies about a mile to the northwest. We packed and went on at once. We found it easy enough to get down to the poor animals, and decided to rush them for a last chance of life. Then there was an unfortunate mistake. I went along the barrier edge, and discovered what I thought and what proved to be a practicable way to land a pony. But the others, meanwhile, a little overwrought, tried to leap punch across a gap. The poor beast fell in. Eventually we had to kill him. It was awful. I recalled all hands and pointed out my road. Bowers and Oates went out on it with a sledge and worked their way to the remaining ponies and started back with them on the same track. Meanwhile, Cherry and I dug a road at the barrier edge. We saved one pony. For a time, I thought we should get both but Bower's poor animal slipped at a jump and plunged into the water. We dragged him out on some brash ice, killer whales all about us in an intense state of excitement. The poor animal couldn't rise, and the only merciful thing was to kill it. These incidents were terrible. At 5pm we sadly broke our temporary camp and marched back to the one I had first pitched. Even here it seemed unsafe, so I walked nearly two miles to discover cracks. I could find none, and we turned in about midnight. So here we are, ready to start our sad journey to Hut Point. Everything out of joint with the loss of the ponies, but mercifully with all the party alive and well. Saturday, March 4, a.m. We had a terrible pull at the start yesterday, taking four hours to cover some three miles to march on the line between Safety Camp and Fodder Depot. From there, Bowers went to Safety Camp and found my notes to Evans had been taken. We dragged on after lunch to the place where my tent had been pitched when Wilson first met me and where we had left our ski and other loads. All these had gone. We found sledge tracks leading in towards the land, and at length marks of a pony's hoofs. We followed these, 
and some ski tracks right into the land, coming at length to the highest of the Pram Point ridges. I decided to camp here, and as we unpacked, I saw four figures approaching. They proved to be Evans and his party. They had ascended towards Castle Rock on Friday, and found a good campsite on top of the ridge. They were in good condition. It was a relief to hear they had found a good road up. They went back to their camp later, dragging one of our sledges and a light load. Atkinson is to go to Hut Point this morning to tell Wilson about us. The rest ought to meet us and help us up the hill, just off to march up the hill, hoping to avoid trouble with the pony. Footnote From Dr. Wilson's Journal February 28 Mears and I led off with a dog team each and leaving the barrier we managed to negotiate the first long pressure ridge of the sea ice where the seals all lie without much trouble. The dogs were running well and fast and we kept on the old tracks still visible by which we had come out in January heading a long way out to make a wide detour round the open water off Cape Armitage from which a very wide extent of thick black fog, frost smoke as we call it, was rising on our right. This completely obscured our view of the open water, and the only suggestion it gave me was that the thaw pool off the Cape was much bigger than when we passed it in January, and that we should probably have to make a detour of three or four miles around it to reach Hut Point instead of one or two. I still thought it was not impossible to reach Hut Point this way, so we went on. But before we had run two miles on the sea ice, we noticed that we were coming on to an area broken up by fine thread-like cracks, evidently quite fresh. And as I ran along by the sledge, I paced them and found they curved regularly at every thirty paces, which could only mean that they were caused by a swell. This suggested to me that the thaw pool off Cape Armitage was even bigger than I thought, and that we were getting on to ice which was breaking up to flow north into it. We stopped to consider, and found that the cracks in the ice we were on were the rise and fall of a swell. Knowing that the ice might remain like this, with each piece tight against the next only until the tide turned, I knew that we must get off it at once, in case the tide did turn in the next half hour, when each crack would open up into a wide lead of open water, and we should find ourselves on an isolated flow. So we at once turned and went back as fast as possible to the unbroken sea ice. Obviously it was now unsafe to go round to Hut Point by Cape Armitage, and we therefore made for the gap. It was between eight and nine in the evening when we turned, and we soon came in sight of the pony party, led as we thought by Captain Scott. We were within half a mile of them when we hurried right across their bows and headed straight for the gap, making a course more than a right angle off the course we had been on. There was the seal's pressure ridge of sea ice between us and them, but as I could see them quite distinctly, I had no doubt they could see us, 
and we were occupied more than once just then in beating the teams off stray seals so that we didn't go by either very quickly or very silently from here we ran into the gap where there was some nasty pressed up ice to cross and large gaps and cracks by the ice foot but with the alpine rope and the rush we got first one team over and then the other without mishap onto the land ice and were then practically at hut point however expecting that the pony party was following us we ran our teams up on to level ice picketed them and pitched our tent to remain there for the night as we had a half mile of rock to cross to reach the hut and the sledges would have to be carried over this and the dogs led by hand in couples a very long job having done this we returned to the ice foot with a pick and a shovel to improve the road up for horse party as they would have to come over the same bad ice we had found difficult with the dogs but they were nowhere to be seen close at hand as we had expected for they were miles out as we soon saw still trying to reach hut point by the sea ice round cape armitage thorpool and on the ice which was showing a working crack at thirty paces i couldn't understand how scott could do such a thing and it was only the next day that i found out that scott had remained behind and had sent bowers in charge of the pony party bowers having had no experience of the kind did not grasp the situation for some time and as we watched him and his party or as we thought captain scott and his party of ponies we saw them all suddenly realize that they were getting into trouble and the whole party turned back but instead of coming back towards the gap as we had we saw them go due south towards the barrier edge and white island then i thought they were all right for i knew they would get on to safe ice and camp for the night we therefore had our supper in the tent and were turning in between eleven and twelve when i had a last look to see where they were and found they had camped as it appeared to me on safe barrier ice the only safe thing they could have done they were now about six miles away from us and it was lucky that i had my girt's glasses with me so that we could follow their movements now as everything looked all right mears and i turned in and slept at five a m i awoke and as i felt uneasy about the party i went out and along the gap to see where we could see their camp and i was horrified to see that the whole of the sea ice was now on the move and that it had broken up for miles further than when we turned in and right back past where they had camped and that the pony party was now as we could see adrift on a floe and separated by open water and a lot of drifting ice from the edge of the fast barrier ice we could see with our glasses that they were running the ponies and sledges over as quickly as possible from floe to floe whenever they could trying to draw nearer to the safe barrier ice again the whole strait was now open water to the north of cape armitage with the frost smoke rising everywhere from it and full of pieces of floating ice all going up north to ross sea march one ash wednesday 
The question for us was whether we could do anything to help them. There was no boat anywhere, and there was no one to consult with, for everyone was on the floating flow, as we believed, except Teddy Evans, Ford and Keohane, who, with one pony, were on their way back from Corner Camp. So we searched the barrier for signs of their tent, and then saw that there was a tent at Safety Camp, which meant evidently to us that they had returned. The obvious thing was to join up with them and go round to where the pony party was adrift and see if we could help them to reach the safe ice. So, without waiting for breakfast, we went off six miles to this tent. We couldn't go now by the gap, for the ice by which we had reached land yesterday was now broken up in every direction and all on the move up the strait. We had no choice now but to cross up by Crater Hill and down by Pram Point and over the pressure ridges and so on to the barrier and off to safety camp. We couldn't possibly take a dog sledge this way, so we walked, taking the alpine rope to cross the pressure ridges, which are full of crevasses. We got to this tent soon after noon, and were astonished to find that not Teddy Evans and his two seamen were here, but that Scott and Oates and Gran were in it, and no pony with them. Teddy Evans was still on his way back from Corner Camp, and had not arrived. It was now for the first time that we understood how the accident had happened. When we had left safety camp yesterday with the dogs, the ponies began their march to follow us, but one of the ponies was so weak after the last blizzard, and so obviously about to die, that Bowers, Cherry Garrard and Cream were sent on with the four capable ponies, while Scott, Oates and Gran remained at safety camp till the sick pony died which happened apparently that night. He was dead and buried when we got there. We found that Scott had that morning seen the open water up to the barrier edge, and had been in a dreadful state of mind, thinking that Mears and I, as well as the whole pony party, had gone out into the strait on floating ice. He was therefore much relieved when we arrived, and he learned for the first time where the pony party was trying to get to fast ice again. We were now given some food, which we badly wanted, and while we were eating, we saw in the far distance a single man coming hurriedly along the edge of the barrier ice from the direction of the catastrophe party and towards our camp. Gran went off on ski to meet him, and when he arrived we found it was cream who had been sent off by Bowers with a note, unencumbered otherwise, to jump from one piece of floating ice to another until he reached the fast edge of the barrier in order to let Captain Scott know what had happened. This he did, of course not knowing that we or anyone else had seen him go adrift, and being unable to leave the ponies and all his loaded sledges himself, Crean had considerable difficulty, and ran a pretty good risk in doing this, but succeeded all right. There were now Scott, Oates, Crean, Gran, Mears and myself here, and only three sleeping bags. So the three first remained to see if they could help Bowers, Cherry Garrard and the ponies, while Mears, Gran and I 
returned to look after our dogs at Hut Point. Here we had only two sleeping bags for the three of us, so we had to take turns, and I remained up till one o'clock that night, while Gran had six hours in my bag. It was a bitterly cold job after a long day. We had been up at five, with nothing to eat till one o'clock, and walked fourteen miles. The nights are now almost dark. March 2. A very bitter wind blowing, and it was a cheerless job waiting for six hours to get asleep in the bag. I walked down from our tent to the hut, and watched whales blowing in the semi-darkness out in the black water of the strait. When we turned out in the morning, the pony party was still on floating ice, but not any further from the barrier ice. By a merciful providence, the current was taking them rather along the barrier edge, where they went adrift, instead of straight out to sea. We could do nothing more for them, so we set to our work with the dogs. It was blowing a bitter gale of wind from the southeast, with some drift, and we made a number of journeys backwards and forwards between the gap and the hut, carrying our tent and camp equipment down, and preparing a permanent picketing line for the dogs. As the ice had all gone out of the strait, we were quite cut off from any return to Cape Evans, until the sea should again freeze over, and this was not likely until the end of April. We rigged up a small fireplace in the hut, and found some wood, and made a fire for an hour, or so, at each meal. But as there was no coal, and not much wood, we felt we must be economical with the fuel, and so also with matches and everything else, in case Bowers should lose his sledge loads, which had most of the supplies for the whole party to last twelve men for two months. The weather had now become too thick for us to distinguish anything in the distance, and we remained in ignorance as to the party adrift until Saturday. I had also lent my glasses to Captain Scott. This night I had first go in the bag, and turned out to shiver for eight hours till breakfast. There was literally nothing in the hut that one could cover oneself with to keep warm, and we couldn't run to keeping the fire going. It was very cold work. There were heaps of biscuit cases here, which we had left in discovery days, and with these we built up a small inner hut to live in. March 3. Spent the day in transferring dogs in couples from the gap to the hut. In the afternoon Teddy Evans and Atkinson turned up from over the hills, having returned from their corner camp journey with one horse and two seamen all of which they had left encamped at Castle Rock, three miles off on the hills. They naturally expected to find Scott here, and everyone else, and had heard nothing of the pony party going adrift. But having found only open water ahead of them, they turned back, and came to land by Castle Rock slopes. We fed them, and I walked halfway back to Castle Rock with them. March 4 Mears, Gran and I walked up Ski Slope towards Castle Rock to meet Evan's party and pilot them and the dogs safely to Hut Point 
but halfway we met Atkinson, who told us that they had now been joined by Scott and all the catastrophe party who were safe, but who had lost all the ponies except one, a great blow. However, no lives were lost, and the sledge loads and stores were saved, so Mears and I returned to Hut Point to make stables for the only two ponies that now remained, both in wretched condition, of the eight with which we started. End of footnote. Sunday, March 5, a.m. Marched up the hill to Evans Camp under Castle Rock. Evans' party came to meet us and helped us up with the loads. It was a steep, stiff pull. The pony was led up by oats. As we camped for lunch, Atkinson and Gran appeared, the former having been to Hut Point to carry news of the relief. I sent Gran on to safety camp to fetch some sugar and chocolate, left Evans, Oates and Keohane in camp, and marched on with the remaining six to Hut Point. It was calm at Evans' camp, but blowing hard on the hill, and harder at Hut Point, found the hut in comparative order and slept there. End of chapter 6